And so the opening question is, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? How would you answer that question? If I just asked, who are you? Tell me in a sentence or two, who are you? I'm going to actually do this. I'm going to pick on some people. I'm going to pick on people I know a little bit. Who are you? Who are you? Just tell us and who are you? I, I don't know where you're going. Okay, this, so, so go ahead. <laughs> it's a trick. Um, in Kenya, when Stacy and I went in Kenya, they would announce their name, and then they would say, I'm a child of God. Ooh, that's good. That's good. I like that. I, could, I saw a young one over here wants to tell me who he is, much to his parents' regret. Who are you? Who are you? I am first-class scout Oliver Douglas, son of my dad. I think your mom did all the hard work, though, on that, just so you know, right? Right? Don't leave mom out. Okay, there we go. Thanks, Oliver. Good work. Good work. Who are you? Who are you? How would you answer that question? Who are you? I'm going to have John answer that question. I already said your name. John, and I, I'm, you stole mine. I'm a child of the king. I have a wife, a child of the king, but she's got a big boot. Used for kicking you? No, oh, okay. A different, a different one. I'm a child of God and have been for many, many years. A child of God, good. Who are you? I'm Sam and I'm a child of God. Okay, good. You guys like have a cheat code or something. It's an interesting question how we answer that. Sometimes people would answer that with maybe an ethnicity. If you were like asked this in a class or something, who are you? You'd say, well, I name and I'm descended from Dutch and German immigrants or whatever. You might throw out that. You might identify by your relationships, right? I'm a husband or I'm a wife or I'm a kid or I'm a brother or whatever. You might do that. Some people identify by a career, right? Who are you? Well, I'm a plumber. I'm a teacher. I'm a banker, right? So that could be one. Sometimes we identify by uh, hobbies, right? I'm a fisherman, right? I'm a hiker. I love to hike. Whatever it is, right? There's all these ways that we might identify ourselves. And so that's really the opening of this letter. We want to identify who's talking to us. Who is this person? And we want to see how he identifies himself, like you guys, as child of God or, or uh, son of the king or the different ones. How do I identify ourselves? What are the things that give us an identity and a meaning? And how is that shaped by Christ? So we want to look at that uh, today as we open up this new study in the book of Romans. I was kind of preparing, thinking, okay, what's my next study going to be? What's the next sermon topic? And I started looking through my my file and my computer. Well, whatever other books have you taught? And I'm last spring I was in the Old Testament, so I thought, let's go New Testament. And I realized that I think I've preached every single letter that Paul has written except the book of Romans. And some go, well, you kind of got that out of order a little bit because Romans is this massive explanation of the gospel, of the power of God, and very specific detail and how does it all work together and then how does God work in our life and how do we respond it's the most complete it's the most uh, worked out explanation of the gospel and like how have you not done that but somehow I haven't I don't know so we're doing it now I'm thinking we're going to budget maybe two years for this 
So, uh, because we'll just take the next chunk. So that's where we're going, and we're going to talk about this idea of who am I? How do you identify yourself? So let's read the opening section I want us to cover today. Is Romans 1, 1 to 7. Romans 1, 1 to 7. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God, and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's just the introductory remarks. This is a letter to an actual group of people, an actual church. So he's writing and saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to talk about. This is who you are. And then he's going to launch into it. So we're just going to deal with this introductory uh, remarks Here's my outline for the day. If you want to take a note, if you're an outline person, here's my outline for the day. Let the gospel define you. And some of you in here already did that. Let the gospel define your very identity. Let the gospel define you. As we're going to see, that's what Paul does. Three, three points. Paul's gospel identity. That's the first section. We're going to see the gospel thumbnail. Right? That's like the little picture you see when you're looking up a website that's going to show you what the whole page looks like. That's what I mean by thumbnail. Okay, That in a short, or maybe some would say in a nutshell. The gospel in a nutshell, the gospel thumbnail, the gospel invitation. So those are the places we're going to get here today. And the first one, when we're talking about letting the gospel define you, we talk about Paul's gospel identity, and I put some taglines to make it like, yeah, who's this Paul guy anyway? Who's writing this letter? Paul, that was his first word out of the gate. Who's this Paul guy anyways? Why should we listen to him? Right? His first introduction, he says, I'm Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle. Yeah, who is this guy? Why does he identify himself that way? It's the word for servant, a slave, Nobody in here said that when I went around with the mic. Right? No one said I'm a slave. Right? Why, why would you identify that way? Right? That's something that history we've worked you know, to try to stop slavery. We see it as wrong. There's still efforts today to stop human trafficking where people are, are bought and sold and treated as property. And he would self-identify as a slave of Christ Jesus? Why would you choose that language? Why would you go there? And so some of you are very familiar with the story of Paul. And maybe some of you don't know the story of Paul. That's great. And so I just wanted us to hear him give a reason why. Why would he identify himself as a servant or a slave of Christ Jesus? 
And he doesn't mean it in the sense that we're thinking that he's bought and sold like property and treated less than human. He's meaning it in the sense that he commands me. He's my master. He's my Lord. He gives the directions. I'm not autonomous. I don't consider my life as having my own authority. Everything I do, I check with him. I respond to him. I obey him. Why would he say that? What would make you say that? Of the Lord or of any for any reason. So I'm going to do a uh, show you in Paul's own words why he would do that. And so I'm going to do an account from Acts chapter 22 where Paul tells his own story. It's always good to hear people's own story. So this is a time much much later in Paul's life after he wrote this uh, letter to the Romans. Here he gets arrested in Jerusalem, and he's arrested because his Jew, he's Jewish. His Jewish people there are opposed to his following Jesus as the Messiah. There's this clash between Christians, or the way as they call it, and the Jews who want to say, no, Jesus wasn't the Messiah. We're going to stay faithful to following the law of Moses, looking for the Messiah. It's not Jesus. So there's this clash and this conflict. Paul's going around the world announcing that Jesus is the Christ, and they believe he's turning everyone against the law of Moses. So when he shows up in Jerusalem, they're like, there he is. Let's get him, and they make up a story, and they arrest him. So Paul has been arrested, and uh, this crowd gathers outside the barracks. He's in, in the Roman barracks, and he says to the guy, can I go talk to him? And the, the centurion's like, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what you did anyway. So yeah, you can step out on the porch here, and you can talk to the crowd. So that's the setting. So that's the setting we see in Acts 22. He says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. He's going to defend himself in front of this crowd. He says, and when they heard he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So I'm going to do my best attempt at just telling the story as if I were Paul. Okay? And you can enjoy it or think I'm wacko. Okay? I'm now Paul. With me, right? So, brothers and fathers. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strictest manner of our law. And not only that, I persecuted this Christian way to the death. I brought men and women bound in chains to prison as both the high priests and the elders can bear witness. In fact, from them, I received letters to take to Damascus to show the brothers that I might bring back to Jerusalem bound prisoners to be punished. And so I went approaching Damascus and as I got near the city, Suddenly, this bright light from heaven shone around me, and it it knocked me to the ground. And I heard this voice, and it said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, "Who, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting. Now, my companions with me, they saw the light but they couldn't understand the voice of the one speaking to me. And, and so I said, Lord, what, sh- what shall I do? And he said, rise and go into the city, 
and you'll be told everything you need to do. And so I had to be led by the hand because of the blindness. And so my companions led me by the hand into the city. And there came a man named Ananias, a devout man according to all their customs, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. And he came to me and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And immediately I received my sight. And I saw him. I could see. And he said, the Lord has appointed you. The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear his voice. So, so now, what are you waiting for? Oh, I forgot about it. To see his voice. For you will be witness of all the things you've seen and heard. He said, now, what are you waiting for? Rise and be baptized. Washing away your sins, calling upon his name. Okay, now I'm Ryan again. Okay, that's the story. That's Paul's own story. He said, I was vehemently opposed to Christianity, opposed to the way I hunted people down, I drug them to jail, and then Jesus met me. And it changed everything. And not only did he meet me and say, hey, knock it off, he said, you're going to be my special witness. You're going to go to the world. You're going to appear before kings and rulers. So that's why I think Paul calls himself a servant. Let me show you another place. In Philippians, he's telling his story again in Philippians 3. And he says, he's talking about why you would have an earthly reason to boast. In Philippians 3, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He was the 100% top dog, Jewish Pharisee student. He was like, I did all of it. I was all the way down that road. But whatever gain I have, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith. In Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So that's him saying it another way. That's why Paul says he's a servant. He was hostile opposed to the plan of God, rejecting Christ as the Messiah, doing everything in his power to stop the movement of Christianity. And then Jesus stopped him and chose him and said, I forgive you. Let's get you on the right path. You're going to be my servant. He says, anything that was giving me any worldly credit, I don't care about any of it. I just want to know him. I just want to be in him. He's the truth. He's the real deal. He's the Savior. He forgives me the worst of all. 
He forgives me the one that, that does these terrible things. And so I am his servant. I think he never got over the grace of God. I don't think the story ever gets old. He tells it multiple times in the book of Acts. Jesus would choose me a sinner. I know some of you tell that story in your own life, right? You just never get over it. He would forgive me, and I thought this of him, and I did this of him, and I worked against his purposes, and I rejected him in my life, and then he was gracious, and he doesn't throw it back in your face. Oh, now you want to come? Now when you're in trouble you want to repent? He doesn't do that. And so that's why Paul, this person, identifies he's first and foremost a servant. He commands my future. He commands my present. I just want to serve him. I don't care what he tells me to do. I'm going to do it because he forgave me. That's who this Paul guy is. That's how he self-identifies as a servant. Because of the grace of God. So that's one side. He says, I'm a servant, but I'm also called to be an apostle. So we see a whole other self-identification. I'm a servant, but I'm also an apostle. And um, the word apostle is actually a very simple word. It just means to be sent, to be sent on a, mess, a message or an errand, to be sent with a purpose. But we'll see in the Bible that there is capital A, big A apostle, and little a apostle. Capital A apostle is a specific and finite group of people. The capital A apostles are people who, the main test I'll show you is that they have witnessed the resurrected Christ and been sent as a witness to his resurrection. So that's a very limited group of people that have that specific, they saw Jesus alive and they've been specifically sent to bear witness to that. So let me show you that, why he'd call himself that he's an apostle, big A, official apostle. In his letter to uh, the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about Jesus' resurrection. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Cephas is another name for Peter. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that would be his half-brother James, or his brother James. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This again is Paul talking. Jesus appeared to him. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So there we see this idea of an apostle as one of these ones who specifically saw the resurrected Christ. Though Paul says, I'm kind of in my own category. I was untimely born. I was born in the wrong era. I persecuted. But nonetheless, the resurrected Jesus appeared to me. And so he is an apostle. He's an apostle in the big A sense. Specific witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Sent by Jesus to bear witness to the fact that he's resurrected. So that's his self-identification, and we can go down another road. The idea of the gift of being an apostle, you read that in Ephesians 4, he gave prophets and apostles. might be the other way, he gave apostles and then prophets. That could be the idea of simply sending a missionary. That could be sending an evangelist into your town. The idea of being sent in Jesus' name to bear witness, that could be the little a apostle. They're sent, 
a church could send someone. And so we still have that idea that the gifts of apostleship to the church, not in the sense of they were witnesses to the resurrected Christ and have a special designation, but in the sense that they're sent on a mission to reach, to go somewhere. So that's the difference. Big A and little a apostle. But Paul says, I am a servant, first of all. Notice he didn't start with an office. He could have done that. He could have said, I'm an apostle and you better listen to me. But he first says, no, I'm a servant of Jesus, receiving his grace. I'm so thankful for it. And he's called me to be an apostle. So that's Paul's gospel identity. I'm a servant, but I'm also an apostle because I saw the resurrected Christ. He said, even though I'm really not worthy of it. So that's who this Paul guy is anyways. That's who he is. The second thing he does here is he gives us the gospel thumbnail. What's this all about? Like any good letter or document you write in the opening, you want to kind of give an overview. Right? What is this going to be about? What am I writing about? What are the topics I'm going to touch on? So he gives an overview, a really brief one here in these opening verses that say, what's going to appear in this letter? What's the main idea? What is this gospel thing? So I just call it the gospel thumbnail. What's this all about? And so we're going to look at this, and this will unfold as the letter goes, but what is the gospel all about? Sometimes you need a thumbnail. Someone just came to you, what's the gospel? Uh, is it a kind of songs? No, this is what it is. He says he's called to be apostle, apostle set apart for the gospel of God. At its most basic foundation, the gospel is an announcement of victory. We have won. Right? That's the most basic announcement. Victory. The battle has been won. Right? The most fa- famous announcement or the famous gospel is the gospel when there was a battle from Marathon. Is that word familiar? And the guy runs 26.2 miles back to, I think it's to Greece, to announce, we've won the battle. And then I think he died. And still today, people run 26.2 miles. It's from that. But the whole point wasn't the distance. The point was he ran all the way home to announce, we've won the battle. Victory is ours. That's, that's literally what the, the word is an announcement of a victory. We've won. Our team has won. Your candidate has won. The war is won. Whatever it is. It's an announcement of victory. So Paul says he is, he is a servant of the gospel. He said he's set apart for the gospel. That he was put in a special place to announce the victory of God. So that's the first part. It's the victory. Then it says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It's not something that just popped up that one day a bunch of people got together in Jerusalem and said, let's come up with this idea and announce victory and, and we'll come up with some. He's like, no, no, this has been foretold. The prophets, people God's been talking to for years, have said there's going to be a victory, that God has a victory. I'll just show you. There's a ton of these you could go to. But I just want you to see a gospel announcement in one of the prophets. Isaiah 52 is in a gospel announcement, an announcement of victory. You even see the words there. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. An announcement of victory, right? How exciting. You want to see that messenger come and say, yeah, we won. Victory is won. He says, how beautiful they are. You see him coming over the hill. There he is. He's bringing the good news. Who publishes peace. 
who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. It's the idea of his public declarations, who says to Zion, your God reigns. No one's over him. No one defeats him. It's an announcement of the reign and rule of God. He says, the voice of your watchmen, so the people who are watching in the village for the announcement to come, they lift up their voice together and they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. That is an announcement in the prophets. Now, it's not every detail of God's salvation, but it's very specific. God's going to win victory. It's going to be his own holy arm. God's going to act for himself. Doesn't need someone else to do it. All right, it's going to be before the nations. It's going to go to the end of the earth, the victory of God. And so you see this announcement beforehand. God always had a plan for victory and salvation for the nations. He's going to do it himself. And it's going to get unfolded here. But the whole do it himself is by sending his own son to bring that victory. But just, I just wanted to show you one. What's the gospel all about? It's all about God's plan for all time that he told beforehand of a victory. That he's gonna, there's going to be victory in the reign of God. So it gets more specific. We're back to Romans 1 now. He announced beforehand in the prophets, so God's been talking all along for hundreds and thousands of years about his salvation, concerning his son. Oh, it goes from a generic announcement of victory to a specific. It's about the son. It's all about his son. The gospel is all about his son. That's the key. And here it says, so we start to get some uh, identifiers. The gospel, the victory of God, is all about his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. So we have a bloodline. We have a specific family that God's going to do this salvation. In the story of God working with people and God working with the nation of Israel, he rose up a king named King David. And he said this was a king after God's own heart. And there was a moment... In David's life, when David wanted to build a temple for God. So I, I, he's sitting in a big palace going, you know, things are good. I have victory over all my enemies. I'm reigning in a wonderful kingdom. And here, and God's in a tent. Because at that time, they had a, a structure called the tabernacle or a tent where they worship. He said, I better build God a real house, not a tent. And so uh, God comes to him through the prophet in a vision and says, you know, it's a good idea. I appreciate the thought. You're not going to do that. You're a man of war. You're not going to do that. I'm going to have my son build me a temple. But then he says, but I'm going to build you a house. David told God, God, I better build you a house. And God says, no, you don't need to do that. I'm going to build you a house. And what he meant by that is he said, one of your descendants will sit on the throne forever. So he said, there's going to be a king, someone in the line of King David with an eternal reign. You can read that in the, I believe it's Second Samuel. Seven. So you can read about that. But that was the point. He says, I'm going to tell you the family line that our eternal reigning king is going to come from. It's going to come from the line of King David. And sure enough, you can read that in the opening letter to Matthew. Jesus is descended in the flesh, like in a human way, 
from David. So, this is the gospel. It's about the victory of God. It's all about the Son. From an earthly point of view, the Son is a descendant of David. And, verse 4, Romans 1, 4, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So he said, I'm going to give you an earthly marker. I'm going to give you a heavenly or spiritual marker of who this Son is. He's descended from David, But he's also called the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So there's two, there's a, that's a huge clue. When you say, what's the gospel? It's the victory of God come through his son Jesus, son of David. But also, he's the son of God and it's key, the resurrection is the key. And here's the key we have to understand. A lot of people say, what's the gospel? Well, Jesus died for my sins. Well, there's going to be thousands of people probably die today in the globe, right? I don't know what the daily death rate is. It's a whole lot. People die every day. That's not the point, right? Jesus died for my sins. That's true, but that's not the point. If he stays dead, well, what good is that? Lots of people are dead. How many people did the Romans crucify? I'm sure it's a very large number. Right? They would line the streets with the crucified of their enemy so that everyone walking down the road would know this is what Rome does to our enemies. So the fact that he was crucified by the Romans, that doesn't actually make him that special. But here it says he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. That's the point. Not that Jesus stayed dead, that Jesus rose from the dead. He defeats death. So if we go over again to 1 Corinthians 15, he says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. I've talked about this before. The fact that you die isn't actually the worst problem you face. That's actually not the problem. In fact, it's not really the the biggest deal at all. The real problem is what happens then. He says, where's the sting of death? We thought, isn't death bad enough? No, no, (laughs) that's actually not the bad part. Maybe how you die is, I don't know. But there's a sting in death. There's something that's worse than death. There's something that you die and then a, a sting comes in. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. The sting of death is that you die and you stand before God and you will be found a sinner. There's no one righteous. And the power of sin is the law. God has a holy law, which we all transgress. That's the actual bad news. You die. You face God. You will be found lacking. The law will speak against you. Your conscience will speak against you. Your sin will be laid bare. And you go, oh, man, death's actually not the problem. It's, it's facing God. And so he's talking about this with, well, let me give you the next verse. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus faced death, but Jesus was righteous. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. Jesus never sinned. So when he enters death, there is no sting. Because he's perfectly righteous. And there's no power over him. Right? Death, Death is a result of sin. Jesus does not have sin, so he defeats death. He removes the sting of death. He defeats the power of it and gives us victory. So that's what this whole sentence is saying there. 
Oh, let me go back to it in uh, Romans. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. He entered death holy without sin, and so therefore he's raised from the dead, never to die again, defeating the power of death, and therefore he is the Son of God, right? That's what it says he was declared because he died perfectly righteous, rose again, defeats the power of death. That's Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's descended from David from an earthly lineage point of view, but his, he's the son of God in power because when he dies, he's perfect and he's holy and he defeats death and he rises again. That's who he is. All right, so we're getting the picture. Remember, we're on the gospel thumbnail. What's the gospel? It's the announcement of God's victory foretold for years by the prophets all about his son who's from David, who is the son of God because of his perfect holiness risen from the dead. It says, through whom we have received grace. Oof. Grace. There's a book Philip Yancey wrote called What's So Amazing About Grace? And in that book, he says, grace is the last best word. I love that, that line. It's the last best word. That it's unmerited, undeserved favor and kindness. That in the gospel, through the resurrection of Jesus, we receive undeserved, unmerited kindness from God. That he would be willing to forgive our sins. So this is, remember I said, this is kind of introing the letter. I'll jump ahead one spot. If you jump ahead to Romans three twenty-three, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all going to come up short. We're all in sin. There's no one. He spends a lot of ink saying that in this first part of the book. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified, declared righteous, declared clean, declared pure through Jesus. That's grace. That's grace. That's what we're celebrating and singing about. That Jesus paid our price and through our faith in him, we receive grace. So that's what the gospel is. We have received grace. And then Paul again says, and apostleship. He says, I've received grace and apostleship. I'm sent out with this message. I'm sent out to witness to the resurrection. I'm sent out to do this, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. This is important. Well, this is going to come up here, uh, this whole idea of obedience of faith. A lot of times we have the, yeah, I believe Jesus is my Savior. Sounds good. It's like, no, no. <laughs> He's now our Lord. We obey him. In faith. We trust him in faith. We follow him in faith. So that's going to come up as we get later in this book study here. So we've received grace, and Paul specifically saying an apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The gospel is all inclusive, it's for everyone. It's for every nation. It's for every tribe. It's always been the vision of God to save the nations. It's the word ethne, where we get our ethnic groups. So an ethne is not a geopolitical nation, right, with borders and names on the map. Ethne is every single people group. So inside of any one nation, there could be multiple 
ethnic groups living and dwelling, multiple unique, specific dialects among the nations. We support one in in uh, northern India that's going to these high mountain remote areas to translate the Bible into a language called the Idumishni. So it's in India, but it's a whole other people group with their own unique language. This woman, she's like four feet tall. <laughs> she, I hope we can get her here again. She is translating the Bible. She's giving her life work to translate the Bible so that that nation in remotest India can hear the gospel. It's amazing. It's amazing what she's doing. Um, that's what it's always been about for God. The gospel is for the nations. It's gospel is for every people group. If you fast forward into this view that we get in heaven from the Apostle John, the book of Revelation, he says they're there. In Revelation 7, 9, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, oof, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. That's the future picture. It's for every nation. He says they're all there. There's a representative there from all of them. That's where this thing is going. So that's what the gospel is all about. Right? The gospel is God's announcement of victory over sin and death and the enemy through specifically his son descended from David, but the son of God through his resurrection from the dead so that grace can go to the whole world to bring about the obedience of faith for every nation. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what Paul says. This is what we're going to talk about. So the third one, the gospel invitation why should I care? Why should I care? Some letter written by some guy thousands of years ago. Why should I care? We go to Romans 1, 6. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. It's including you. It's for you. You're part of the call. This is, this is something that is, I'm choosing you. He wants you, including you, he says to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever talk to anyone that says, no, no, God's only out to get me. God's only judging me. He's only here to bring me down. I've had people tell me they can't walk in this building. Because, no, I'm too dirty, I'm too awful. That's sure not the picture we get, is it? He says, grace to you. God's undeserved kindness and favor to you. And peace. It means, it's the word shalom. It means this deep sense of wholeness and completeness. A deep sense of well-being. An absence of hostility. That God's kindness and his peace is for you. That's why we should care about the gospel. It's for you. It's God's grace to you. It's God's peace to you. It's God's call to you. It's for you. It's not just for some Romans. It's for the world. It's for the nations. And so it's a beautiful thought to think 
It's for you. That's why you should care. That's why we should care. So my whole thing here was let the gospel define you. Who are you? We saw who Paul is in the gospel. I am a servant, an apostle, because of everything Jesus has done and the grace towards me. And I wonder if the gospel defines you. Do you have a gospel story? Do you, are you able to identify yourself? You, you're not Paul. Right? We don't have Paul's story. You maybe haven't hunted people down and drug them off to jail and then he appeared to you on the freeway in a light, right? Like, no, that's not your story, but you have a story. Uh, I've told my story some. I'll just tell the quick version. I have talked about this, how I was a mean kid. I was mean. I could pick on people, taunt people, be harsh with people with special needs specifically. It was awful. And then when Jesus got a hold of my heart, you know, what are they doing to Jesus when he's on the cross? Taunting, mocking, teasing. And he says, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know what they're doing to me. And so when the grace of Jesus takes over my life, I am not that person. Now I'm a person who loves people, who cares about people. The, la- the only taunting you hear out of my mouth would be if, like, you know, you root for the 49ers or something. But otherwise, right, that's my only, it's only sports taunting. But I'm not going to taunt you because of who you are. Because how you're made, a disability you may have, poof. I don't ever want that to come out of my mouth again. It's over. That's the story. That's who I'm called to be, right? Paul says, I'm called, I'm a servant, and I'm an apostle. Ryan, I'm just called to be kind, and I'm called to be a pastor. But that's not your story. You have your own story. You are what he's done in your life, and then you're called to be. Maybe you're called to be a student right now. So you, you live the grace of Jesus in your school, in your school environment, on your sports team, on your job site, on the staff. Whatever it is, I'm called to be. So let the gospel define you. I wonder if I got like one or two of you that would say right now, uh, in a minute, I'll take the mic away from you if you keep going, in a minute, I was, and now through Jesus I am. Does anybody just have that right now and say, I want to say that? I'll just give you that moment. Sure, well, okay. Is it green? Oh. I was a throwaway. I was abused and rejected by my family. And God found my heart and redeemed me and gave me a life. Amen. Yeah. I'm I was broken beyond um, hope and repair. And today I'm a new creation in Christ by the blood of Jesus. That's my story. Amen. Yeah. 
Um, I grew up in all different kinds of families, and even when my own family had gotten custody of me when I was a kid, um, I was always the white sheep because I didn't believe in breaking rules, and I can keep going and going. But long story short, um, I found God through all of that growing up and always felt at home because I had Christ in my heart. Amen. All right. Let's pray and sing a, a worship song just praising Jesus. Lord, we thank you for how you've transformed many more lives in this room that didn't just share. We just look forward to you sending us out even this week with your grace and peace that we could live out the gospel story. For any here who do not have a gospel story, that you would begin to draw them to yourself, no matter what they are or were, that they could be changed, forgiven, renewed, sent out for your purposes. Lord, thank you for the grace of Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.